good morning all. Um, welcome to season one of Behind the Data. Uh, my name is Jez Clark. I'm one of the co-founders of Eden Smith. Um, and I'm very, very happy to be introducing uh, Simone Steele. Uh, the former Chief Data and Analytics Officer for Nationwide Building Society. How are you, Simone? Hi, Jess. I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. I've been really looking forward to this, uh, looking forward to meeting you because we haven't met before. Um, but I'm quite excited about the conversation because I'd like to get your view um, on our topic of this season, which is building sustainable data teams. Um, as you know, I've just mentioned I've got a few views on that. I think there's a lot of default to recruitment, which I don't think is the right strategy. And I'm keen to uh, understand how you go about that. So, um, so yeah, welcome to the show. Um, let's just Thank talk about how, how did you initially get into the industry? Um, I think I was very lucky, first of all, because uh, it, back in the 80s, I um, went to a technical college okay. um, in data processing, of all things. Oh, right. <laughs> and um, and that was back in Brazil, uh, where I'm originally from. I grew up there and had uh, quite a lot of my professional life uh, there in Sao Paulo. Um, and this data processing course was actually the seed of uh, computer, computer science and computing right. as an academic topic in those days. Most right. uh, most people who were programmers in that uh, day and age were mathematicians statisticians, physicists, um, who could only do their jobs, uh, enabled, you know, their research and mm -hmm. progressing their field with the aid of kind of compute power. Right. So I entered as an apprentice, actually, uh, in programming. And, um, and my first job was actually an assembler programmer for mainframes uh, for a software wow. company. <laughs> and so you know, very lucky <laughs> that I yeah. thought the beginning of that wave. Yeah, um, God. Assembler. Further, assembler. Yeah, well, there weren't many options at the time. You're either COBOL, COBOL or, or assembler. You know, yeah. um, maybe I, I actually learned programming Fortran, which right. makes me, um, it, it sets my mind back to the hidden figures uh, and the dawn of Fortran in the the 60s maybe <laughs> yeah wow um so i feel that i had a really um i grew up with mm -hmm. the technology change and i grew up with the evolution of computing and data processing which is still very close right. to my heart right okay yeah i mean um, you did mention some technologies there that i remember when i first got into recruitment because i was placing lots of COBOL developers and rpg 400 programmers coming up to the year the millennium yeah. the millennium issue that we had and everyone thought the world was going to end but it didn't happen yeah. <laughs> um, so as part of your career then because obviously you've had you know I mean, there's 18 years at a senior management and executive level that, mm -hmm. um, that, that that you have in your background. Was there a pivotal moment um, in your career that kind of springboarded you to where you are today? Uh, yeah, there have been several, uh, right? You don't go from like the programmer to the CDAO, as it were. No. Uh, unless you go through some very tortuous roads and, uh, and unpredictable paths. Um, so from a very, very technical engineering, a software engineering, um, kind of profession. I had a few twists and turns, uh, first moving from Brazil to the UK and learning how the discipline of 
managing large data sets was quite different. Um, I actually felt uh, from a skill point of view, uh, the rigor um, that you have to demonstrate from changing from the software industry, when you sell compute and data as a business to a captive IT uh, person working for a bank, you know, you demonstrate uh, very different levels of rigor in engineering and in data management. So I think that was the first pivotal aha moment Mm. for me to say, you know, wow, data management in large banks is, uh, it requires uh, a little bit of an uplift uh, of rigor. Right. Um, So that made me think in a more leadership kind of uh, model, what are the skills? What are the capabilities that we need to foster rather than just the projects we need to deliver? Yes. So that was, I think, as a person, very uh, a pivotal moment. Um, And further down the line, um, I think to make me go from a technology professional to a data professional at a senior level, um, clearly there was a dawn of the CDO uh, in, say, maybe mid 2010s time, you know, maybe between 2013 and 17. And I attended, uh, I was working for Thomson Reuters um, in 2017. And our uh, CEO, now CEO of Refinitiv, David Mm -hmm. Craig, presented in one of the large Thomson Reuters events, um, his prediction for where data was going to go in the future. Right. And he said, um, I see at least 80% of the chief data officers in the market being data scientists. Really? And that made me, absolutely, and I will credit him for such foresight. Right. He saw where this was going and he made me go back to studying. So I um, started in 2019, a formal, data science professional certification with Harvard. Okay. And um, and that's a pivotal moment because I realized that my degree in economics, statistics, econometrics of the 90s was actually what is the, the, the building block for the building data block. science, yeah. for predictive modeling, for statistical rigor, for what we were trying to do with data. Right. Absolutely now enabled by accessible languages. Um, I remember doing my first linear regression in the 90s using R. You said there was you one, can... just about to get to one point. So, yes, in, uh, in the R language in the 90s, we had one library, yes. which was the linear regression library, right? right. Uh, the minimizing of the risks, uh, or minimizing of the errors uh, and the linear regression model and now we have 250 oh many more than that uh different Mm. ways of modeling and predicting and different ways of looking at accuracy and other properties of your predictions so i felt uh you know kind of a new wave of opportunities opening at that time Mm. And then, of course, there was COVID and lockdown, so I, I decided to do one more course, which was, uh, it's called the Tiny ML uh, Professional Certification, which is um, back to my assembler days, in a way, by getting models to run on tiny devices in the Internet of Things 
yes and understanding how to minimize um, the, the the footprint of your code in devices that are very constrained in memory and and uh, and energy right and i think that combination you know there is the the, the kind of early 2000s recognizing that the IT profession needed a bit more rigor and this prediction from David Craig to say if you are not fully understanding what data science can do for you as a leader it'll be very hard to manage our emerging risks and see the emerging opportunities so I think those two things define quite a lot of who I am now absolutely I mean that's a fascinating story um I'm sure I'm sure the listeners will be really encouraged to hear, you know, the journey that you took um, and also your viewpoint on 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 why having a background or understanding or the skill set for data science is so pivotal in in the impact you can have on a business. One of the things you said was, you know, moving or going from a tech being a technology professional to a data professional. I mean, one of the biggest things that we realized when we set our company up was that it's a different type of skill set. Um, if you were to narrow those skill sets down, I mean, I have my view on what are the really important skill sets to become a very good data professional. Um, what would you say there's to say top top three skills are that you believe people should have or top five? Um, I believe that when we talk about data, we too many things into one large bucket, right? Mm -hmm. So there are many needs, I think, of data professionals. And I wish sometimes that we would recognize data governance um, as um, less negative, less of a risk mitigation career um, and more of a, a stewardship career. Yes. Yeah, as a, as a steward. So in terms of skills, I would love to be an intern in the British Library to understand how do librarians actually classify, index, um, store, care for yeah. our data in an analog manner. Yes. And see, how can we build digital librarians that care for data? Yes. That can, you know, take away the stigma around data governance. So I think this is one absolute skill, the, the you know, the cataloging, the meaning. Yes. Uh, being able to find it without having to rely on chat GPT or, or vari variations <laughs> of search engines, right? Yes. Um, because those things are actually making up, uh, they, they, I guess, trying to address a problem that we created by not being very careful, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps, with data. So that that I think is number one. Yes, because the point. other skills that we bring in terms of data um, to make a business successful, to make um, I guess advance uh, to advance our human condition with data in the science space, um, I think requires that statistical rigor. Okay. Um, I think we can weaponize data quite easily by mistake or, or maybe lack of awareness of impact in the real world. Mm -hmm. And um, we haven't got yet our Hippocratic um, oath 
of medicine applied to data. I hear a lot, especially from our Turing, uh, Alan Turing Institute, some yes. partnerships with the uh, people-centered AI Institute launched by the University of Surrey recently. The ethics and people-centered thinking is that the you know is it has to be the core of the data professional. Okay. We need to care about why is my model better having perhaps more false positives and less false negatives. Yes. What is what is the impact on the person that will be um, experiencing the outcomes of our data analysis or prediction. Um, so I think, I know you asked for three skills, but I think these two for me are, are the predominant ones, the, you know, the, the professional rigor and the ethics, mm. but also the care and stewardship um, mm. for data. No, it's very insightful, um, and I definitely agree with your point around the stigma that data governance has. Um, and I wonder, I do wonder whether that's because of, um, that's just kind of a knock-on effect from part of data governance was to deal with the issue of GDPR, which was quite a mundane thing, and it went on for a couple of years, and um, and hence it's kind of, I don't know, it's not, it's sometimes seen as maybe the boring or not so exciting part of the data space, which I disagree with, and I agree with you, and and I can have that, um, I can demonstrate that from uh, having some interaction with SILIP, the Chartered Institute of Librarians and Information Professionals. Um, you know them, I think, maybe. And uh, I remember sitting in a theatre there, and there was a, a presentation being given, and I, I said to my colleague, and my, well, it was my colleague that actually said it to me, Nick, he said, we're surrounded by data experts, you know, like the, 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 all of the people in this room could perform this role. Um, and I'm really, really, you know, and, and, and that's that's a different way of thinking. It's a little bit more out the box, but you're absolutely right. And for me, that's just an upskilling, um, uh, an upskilling exercise, which could help the talent pool, but also um, actually caring to so data ethics and caring. I, I, I totally agree with that. If, yeah. if people don't care, then of course it just um, adds to the problem. But no, thank, thank you very much. So if we move on to, you know, obviously I'm assuming that you've built a few teams in the past. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> That's right. Um, everyone has a different approach. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see multiple, I see lots of different organizational design in businesses. I see lots of different, you know, talent strategies around data teams. I see a lot of data teams in IT teams, uh, some separated, some siloed, some federated, like whatever that might be. What, what's your approach? If you're, you know, if you, I don't know if you've been in a greenfield site we've built from scratch, but what is your approach? Like, how do you go about building a team of data people? I think the very first time I built it from scratch is so long ago that is worth very little for your audience. <laughs> well, I think the listeners um, will be interested in anything you've got to say, if I'm honest, but, but no. No, I like building from scratch is interesting and daunting mm. um, because you, you have nowhere to hide, right? You have nowhere to hide. So the first time I built one from scratch was still in the early 90s, so it's it's that long ago. Right. where I was moving um, our software business from payroll and accounting services to telecommunications. That was pre-mobile, right? Wow, it, yeah. it goes back a long, long time. Is the time, uh, it, those days of 
um, subscription television, uh, those days of pay-per-view. I don't know. Remember those days? Yeah, I do. <laughs> where <laughs> you know where we had to integrate you know billing and the fact that is a near real-time service because if you want to watch a movie at that time, you needed to be decoding that movie at that time. Yes. So. Um, so there was an a very intense period of looking for um, talent that would understand, um, you know, the encoding side, the workflow side, the billing side of things, because data is everywhere. Yes. And the idea that it is a discipline, I think, hinders our ability to move forward. You know, the data professional label. Um, I think sometimes holds us back. That's an interesting um, point. And I think data, and I learned a lot from working with um, people uh, who came from, um, say, a geophysics background, where data about, you know, earth movement, whatever that's called, <laughs> oh, <laughs> seismic, seismic data, um, yeah. is the core of their profession. So are they data professionals? We don't call them that. We call them geophysicists. Yes. Um, yes. The um, the course that I did with Harvard was run by um, a biologist. So he is a data professional. He understands, you know, the the power of AI when scanning for cancer cells in mm -hmm. an image, mm -hmm. right? So I think um, building from scratch is quite daunting because you need to balance the ability, say, to build data pipelines and govern data electronically with the ability of using it properly for the subject matter that makes yeah. your business tick. Yes. And to find that combination when you know it's going to be imperfect, you know, makes you take quite a lot of risks. Some of yeah. them work, some of them don't. Yeah. But more recently, what I've learned more um, is that upskilling is an ongoing concern and you um, have to really harvest the interest of people who may not see themselves as data professionals. Very okay. much as you were saying, being in the audience of that you know, conference yeah. of librarians and, um, and actually take a step back from the jobs back take a step back uh, and, and say, what is the actual problem and what is the gap that I might be able to close more quickly with training, with mentoring, yeah. with peer, it's like a peer programming yeah. concept transposed yeah. to a data scenario. Yeah. Um, and I think giving people tools and, and capabilities that uh, it, it's easy compared to giving them the understanding of dynamics of large data sets, understanding the risks of the tails of the distribution, um, you know, the trade-offs, yes. right, between what, what is good enough, what, what's good for business, what is within risk appetite. Those things are harder to train. They are very hard indeed. I really like um, your approach and your thought process <laughs> around what is a data professional. Uh, I think that's one thing. I think that the listeners will take away from this conversation already and also the fact that you know the data market and the jobs functions have been 
over innovated in my opinion so we have thousands of different job titles um and i think you're absolutely right to concentrate on stepping back kind of slow down to speed up um and look at where you can make those finer moves in training um to to just kick that off that, yeah i think one thing that encapsulates that jazz is um, I, uh, I, I have a, a brand new set of leaders that I had to welcome into um, my former employer nationwide uh, in, the, in the recent past. And, um, and there was one question that was intriguing for me. Um, they looked at my department, very large group of people, over 500 people. And uh, the question was, you know, what, do these, what does your team do? And how come we have so many? Right. 500 people. And I'm thinking, um, of course, we entered a transactional dialogue and I explained the remit of this data department, which is huge. But my question, my takeaway was, shouldn't everybody be a data professional? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right? Because we come in, um, you know, nationwide is a very established household name in financial services in the UK, um, but we don't produce cars we don't move houses when we mortgage them we don't do physical things we deliver cash through, through cash points but everything else is virtual yes so everyone in our business and i'm sure you can transpose this to many businesses uh, has a representation of real life in data therefore yes. everybody is a data professional and I think uh, it makes me now think about the question, you know, those things that say, oh, I wish I had said that, um, you know, that I wish that we uh, created this passion for data in absolutely everybody in this organization. Mm. Which is why it's so important that you want everybody to care about data, right? Yeah, because yeah. we get the whole business caring, then, you know, uh, yeah. it, it, we'll look after it a lot more. Now that's, that's brilliant. So I guess, um, and there's a couple of things you mentioned there as well. You mentioned about providing the people that, you know, people within the team that you're building around tooling. Are there any tools that, that uh, or, or things that you did or used uh, that you felt really helped you on that journey? Um, I don't think I am as wedded to any of the tools to mention them <laughs> in the <this> podcast. <laughs> um, Let's talk so about maybe... I, we are what they what they did what those tools yeah, did yeah what do they what do those tools uh, yeah. what do they do for us yeah um i think having a single place where people can feel it's a marketplace for data where they can understand meaning okay. and it's another difficult word alongside governance which is metadata yes right the data about data so um i think having a platform that physically people can go into and identify that this is where data is understood was a great step forward. Um, whether it's a two A or two B, it doesn't matter. But it needs to be one. Yes, I think that's the crux of your question, right? Yes. It needs you have to have a marketplace, a catalog, where you can trust that is the best one uh, that everybody would go to. Even if it's a very skinny version of your entire enterprise, uh, it needs to be understood as a nucleus and you have to get people trained because those tools are so flexible. They are so configurable. 
Mm. Um, they are meant to fulfill needs of many industries. So if you are not trained properly, you end up with a bit of a scarecrow configuration that people hate. And if they hate it, they think it's an obstacle, not not a tool that can help them do their jobs. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, data catalog and marketplace is essential. The other area where I haven't found a, a single tool because all providers, um, but there are very good providers out there that can help you build a data pipeline, which is really to automate quite a lot of your policies. Yes. When you are ingesting into the environment where you want to perform your analysis, whether yes. it's advanced analytics or more traditional one-off ad hoc request response or traditional MIS, I think there is this beauty of encoding your data policies. You know, you mentioned before GDPR, I, I deal all the time with BCBS 239 uh, or the, uh, the payments card uh, industry standards. Mm -hmm. You know, those are complex. Uh, well, they, they are principle based regulations and policies that you can't have everybody in the organization doing checklists in their mind. You need to get them those rules into an automated fashion um, as you bring data in so you know you can trust it. Yeah, yeah. So I think culturally this could be quite hard um, to replace checklists and policy attestations and e-learnings with trustworthy encoded policies, but there are tools out there that can make it easier, you know, under the banner of uh, data pipeline management. Right, okay. Thank you. And the, the sorts of team sizes that you had, you mentioned a department of like nearly 500 people there. You know, I have questions um, all around, uh, or I get lots of different opinions on the round of the importance of training and development. Lots of people will say the training and development is important. Um, but what, but what's your what's your view on that? Because I believe it strongly links to employee motivation and retention. And of course, if your retention's bad, we have a recruitment problem. Um, and in case you you know, and then yeah, it affects your culture and, and obviously a lot of time wasted and God knows what else. So, what's your view around um, employee training and development and how you dealt with motivation and retention in in teams such as that size? Yeah. Uh, so first, you know, what, what's in the team? Um, there are quite a number of pockets and with very different needs. So mm. there's a pocket around data science and the needs, uh, I believe, around ethics and around being, um, having hardcore skills, always very sharp, um, you know, to be able to um, then create models and explain models that people can trust. Yeah. Um, so this is, I believe, in the forefront of being able to manage, uh, understand, communicate and manage risk of uh, predictive models drifting over yeah. time with bad feedback loops, uh, being able to test for bias, maybe uh, with adversarial techniques. So there are like some really hardcore disciplines that are just emerging and those teams need to have access to industry conferences um to okay. networks like um 
um, AI research that is happening in the industry and be connected, feel connected to that professional community. Yeah. And uh, there are the engineers that look after masses of warehouses, lakes, lake houses, yes. and, and, <laughs> and, the, and the rest, right? So yeah. these are professionals that have a lot to learn and, and co-create those data pipelines I was talking about. Yeah. You know, some may have had decades in their careers writing um, ETLs. Right? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, how, well, just kind of make it simple, writing transformation and heavy lifting of data from A to B. Yes. And have always been doing that, have always modeled in a snowflake or star schema. Uh, and, you know, they know how difficult it is to deal with those heavy data loads. But then there are neighbors that have been doing DevOps for the last 10 years, you know, since Accelerate uh, and the Phoenix project uh, was published. And, um, you know, what can they learn from yeah. software engineering yeah. that can be applied? So bringing, and I think that is the key for upscaling, for constant learning, this, this culture of continuous learning. You really need to get the teams to mix a bit. Yes. Um, I think learning from a distance doesn't go as far as we hope. Um, so, you know, be creating hybrid teams has been very successful in this space of data engineering. Yeah, I, I, I really love the fact that what you're doing there is identifying the actual needs of the, the team based on what their requirements will be to help them personally develop, because it it links up with engagement, doesn't it? It gets them motivated and excited and then they feel they feel like they're actually going on a journey there. And of course, within the landscape which supports transformation they're all different like you say so I actually like that um it's not something that I've heard from anybody else really because a lot of people will just implement training across the whole team and it's kind of the same for everybody or they give them a platform and say go and use that but um yeah I think you've done it yeah I think I think what you're advising there is is much more effective and I can see a lot of sense in that but you um, need to take the steps, uh, you need to take the conscious steps to identify what is the product yes. that resonates with that team, yes. that resonates with the clients, right? This 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 language of data product has let me down sometimes. Yeah. I'll say, well, what's she talking about data products? <laughs> but they are different outcomes. And I don't think we have a sophisticated language that is friendly to my sales team or my marketing team or my risk team it, it is still something i'm learning yeah well i think we're all on a learning journey all the time yeah. aren't we <laughs> yeah. i know i certainly am um uh, very very insightful simone I, I really really appreciate this i i think just for um just for the the, the new the new uh, generation of talent those you know that the, the, all those really excited people that are working so hard at the moment the students and uh, and even, you know, an even younger generation. Um, what would your advice be to them? Um, what, what, what say, what say biggest tip would you give? Um, if you take yourself back to when you first got into the industry again, what would you, what would you uh, advise our listeners did when they get in a career in data? Um, I, I, there is one thing that made me, um, I think, who I am from the early days, which I think. Nobody said, but they did it, right? So it wasn't a verbal advice. It was 
how they behave through their lives, which is if you have a, tech, a, a technical capability to offer, don't ever put yourself in a box of that technical capability. Because our industry, information technology and data, um, is there for a reason, which is to make the outcomes either better, more reliable, uh, more useful. So do not wait for requirements, right? So I think that's <laughs> my, that is my advice. Use your analytical and critical thinking brain. Right. Because your technical expertise, of course, will be necessary, imperative, in fact. Um, but getting someone to do the analysis for you and tell them, tell you what they want is a very dangerous thing. Mm. I think we need to meet the need. You know, we talk about people-centered AI. That's what is an alarm bell in my mind. Yeah. Mm. The people-centered need and how you, you want an incredible um, industry that can make things happen, but you cannot exempt yourself from responsibility of doing the right thing. Right. And without understanding the problem, without being curious, you will have to hide behind the requirement or behind somebody else's, you know, I, I was told to do this. Right. And I'm learning and I'm going back way back in time, uh, but encouraged by this um, advice from uh, having read a book by uh, Christopher um, Wiley. Uh, he was the data scientist behind Cambridge Analytica yes. when he was very young. I think he was only in his early 20s at best. And uh, and for me, you know, this encapsulates the, the danger of being very technically capable, very enthusiastic, but not uh, being able to see we don't What's expect going on? from very young people, right? Right. <laughs> so there are many other problems with that story, but clearly it's upon us to be curious and upon yeah. us to be, um, you know, more than the technical capabilities we've acquired. Curiosity. It's a long advice. <laughs> curiosity, right? Let's label that curiosity. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And Chris Wiley was a brilliant example, a case study of where, you know, someone with great technical capability got themselves into something that you know uh well as we know we know what the outcome was but no that's yeah. that's that's brilliant i think i think um because you know the we we see a lot of the students coming out uh they're learning a lot of stuff about data um they're getting very very heavily technical you know on the technical side but they just don't have that curiosity um how we nurture that in someone i guess is a different question um yeah. but simone um we're coming to the end now um, this has been a really interesting conversation. I'm definitely going to go back and to listen to this because I think I've learned a lot already um, from you. So I do really appreciate it and I really appreciate you sharing um, so much information. Just think just before we uh, before we part company, you know, just to get to know a little bit more about the personal side of Simone. Um, can you tell me one thing you think the audience would be surprised to learn about you? you'll be surprised to know that I am rehearsing for my flamenco show with my local little flamenco troupe. Oh wow. <laughs> um, for uh, a, a little a little local show to celebrate some of the young students um, that uh, are now 18 and they're leaving the school 
and we want to do a big celebration for them. So I love flamenco um, as an art form. And, uh, and now that my kids are getting a little bit older, I can indulge myself in going to classes and rehearsals and having fantastic. fun that way. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. This was very, very unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's a great hobby as well. I bet it keeps you fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Well, look, um, yeah, thanks so much for, for today. No, and, thank you, um, Jess, for having me. I really appreciate uh, the, the curiosity, uh, you know, as, as, the, as, the, as the theme goes. <laughs> yeah, I think we've landed on a very good piece of advice there for all the listeners that are getting into our industry. But um, I'm wishing you all the best and I look forward to catching up with you soon and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.